Hello you and welcome to You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Today we are talking about everything, everywhere, all at once. Well-timed considering how many Oscars it won this past weekend. We are joined in this conversation by the fabulous Mari Naomi. I am one of your hosts, Alex Steed. I will soon be joined by my tremendous co-host, Sarah Marshall. Everything Everywhere All at Once is a 2022 American science fiction comedy film written and directed by the Daniels, otherwise known as Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinart. It follows Evelyn Wang, a Chinese-American immigrant who must connect with parallel universe versions of herself to prevent a powerful being from destroying the multiverse. Mari Naomi is an American graphic artist and cartoonist who often publishes autobiographical comics and is also well known for creating three online databases of underrepresented cartoonists. Mari Naomi joined us recently to record this episode while on their book tour. They're promoting their recent book, I Thought You Loved Me, and we were so lucky to be joined by them. We had a great time recording this episode. But before we get into all that, how are you doing, my friend? How's everything going in your world? We'd love to hear from you on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you on Instagram. We would just like to know uh, how you're doing. You can find us at you are good Pod. Let us know what's going on in your life. And don't forget that you, my friend, are good. Last week, we did our first live show as You Are Good. We did it on the Joko Cruise, and we had a blast. We had a blast all week hanging out with uh, the other folks who were there. There was Josh Gondelman. There was a Puddles Pity Party. There were the Rainbow Girls. Uh, there was uh, Dante Basco. There were all sorts of great folks that it was just lovely to spend time with. There was Janet Varney. All sorts of lovely folks. Uh, and we were thrilled to be with them and we had our first live show. And I think, you know, I think we enjoyed it so much that we might do it again. Hopefully we'll do it again soon. In the meantime, you can catch the You're Wrong About live shows, which, uh, you know, I think you'd be into. A lot of great things happen on stage at the You're Wrong About live shows. You can find a link to those in the show notes. I've been talking about my Steady Bad Luckers show, which is coming up this week in San Diego, in Los Angeles, and San Francisco. You can find information about that in the show notes. Come see us do our thing live in one iteration or another, and hopefully you are good. We'll make it out to your neck of the woods soon. You Are Good is made possible with your support thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon or by subscribing on Apple Podcast subscriptions. Everyone who supports us over there gets bonus episodes in exchange for your support. We appreciate it. We appreciate it because we are artists, we're uh, authors, we're writers, we are musicians, we are uh, performers, we're all of these things. And we all occupy professions where it's difficult to make a living. <laughs> so by supporting this show, you help make all that possible for an increasing posse of people. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Again, you get bonus episodes. We talked about sex in the city last month. Uh, and uh, this month's bonus is still TBD, but we will let you know what it is when it materializes. All right, everybody, let's do this. Let's dive in. Hello, Alpha Sarah Marshall. Oh my God. Hello, <laughs> hot dog finger Alex Steed. <laughs> How's it going over there? How are you doing in your life and your being? Um, Portland received what in another city would be a normal amount of snowfall. But oh my God, it's like the Omega Man out here. <laughs> and if you don't know what that means, then go watch that movie. It's fun. A big part of our coming together as friends has been my learning how the Pacific Northwest deals with precipitation that New England is built for and the Northwest is not. And it's been fascinating watching you from the outside in Portland, knowing that you're going through an Armageddon-like winter event. Yes, because it snowed about eight inches, I think. Yeah. Anywho, who are we We joined by? Mystery guest. Please announce yourself. <laughs> Hello, I am Mari Naomi, and I'm a Californian, and all this talk about snow is freaking me out. <laughs> well, you won't get snow. You'll just burn to a crisp. It'll be fine. No, I'm I'm about to drive to Portland. <laughs> oh. oh, it'll be great. It'll be grand. 
Marie Naomi is uh, we're in the same space. This is the I think the first time this has ever happened on the show where I am with guest mm-hmm. and we are um, reaching out to Sarah Marshall from afar. Yep. This feels so intimate. I was just talking to Alex and saying that this is the first time in over a year that I've been indoors without a mask with someone other than my spouse. So this is, you know, feeling very snuggly. Congratulations. (laughs) I hope you don't contract something rare this way. That would be terrible. (laughs) It's us. We've we've attested. So we're all, it's all happening. And Maria Naomi, why are you here? I am starting my book tour for my book, I Thought You Loved Me, which is a collage comics memoir about friendship and uh, memory and and how fucked up it all is. <laughs> We've noticed. <laughs> Except your friendship is perfect. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just my friendships, not all of them. I saw this book because we visited you right after we euphorically finished our You're Wrong About Little West Coast Live Tour last September. And we were visiting with you and you handed me, I think, a galley of this book. And I became a very bad guest because I could not stop reading it for about, I don't know, it felt like about half an hour. That is my dream. Whenever I hand my book to someone, that's exactly the response that I want. <laughs> in, in speaking of relational emotional trauma. Oh, my God. <laughs> Marie Naomi, what movie uh, have you brought to us today? And what is your relationship with this movie? <laughs> Everything, everywhere, all at once. My relationship to this movie is actually the last time I had my mask off around someone indoors was when I saw this in the theaters um, before it was theatrically released. I somehow ended up on a, a, what do you call it, an influencers list for Asian people. And I got invited to the screening in L.A. like with red carpet and everything. And I'm like, oh, my God, Michelle Yeoh, I'm there. So I drove down, even though I just moved to the Bay Area. I'm like, I'm going there. I invited my friend Yumi. We got dressed up. We watched the film around people who were in the film, around people who had made the film. It was all these Asian people who had this like really tight connection to the film. And it was one of the first times I was really out in public since the pandemic started. And I was so just emotionally hyped up. And I'm like, this is the best movie in the world is it just because of the situation? Um, is it just because I'm Asian? You know, what part of this is real and what part of this is the experience? Also, you know, it was, it was in the theaters and it was just a magnificent theater movie. And so several months later, I saw it again in the theater with my husband who... Um, it was his birthday. And, and so this was my test of will white people like it or was it just because I'm Asian and I have an immigrant mom and he loved it. And so then I watched it again the other day and I was watching it earlier today. And I just find that each time I watch it, I cry harder and but like out of beauty, out of sadness. I'm a former film student and film just nerd. And this movie just rocks. <laughs> Sarah. Would you mind uh, walking us through what happens in this movie and and, uh, maybe a little bit about what it's about before we figure out how to dive into it? Yeah. And, you know, and I've thought about this and with respect, no. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I'll give the the original IMDb synopsis, which is a woman tries to do her taxes. (laughs) um, So I saw this movie when it came out in theaters and it was the first movie that I had seen in theaters since Little Women pre-pandemic. And I had kind of a similar question, which is like, how much of my experience of this movie is like, the movie itself and how much of it is like meeting the world again. And what I can say, having watched this again now in my house to prepare for this is that it remains just like a like purely overwhelming experience. And I feel like reviews I got of this movie from my friends to some extent were based on like, do you or do you not want to be overwhelmed (laughs) for two hours and, and 19 minutes? And I was like, yes, I loved it. I love to be overwhelmed. And specifically the moment where it turns into a 2001 A Space Odyssey parody. (laughs) I remember sitting there in my seat at Clackamas Town Center thinking, this is cinema! (laughs) But it, it really defies description for me. And I feel like I would like to offer the job to our guest, which you can do as thoroughly or as not thoroughly as you wish to. Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to give this a try. Wow. This is, this is a surprise. I'm kind of sweating. Okay. The movie's in three parts. There's everything part one and then everywhere part two and then all at once part three. 
And uh, we open up to Evelyn, who is doing her taxes and is clearly uh, freaked out about it. Her father is in town. Her father, who is pretty typical, uh, emotionally absent father, She's stressed out about making enough food for him, that the noodles are perfect. And then her husband, Waymond, played by Kei Hui Kwan. He's trying to talk about getting a divorce, but she doesn't know this yet. He's got divorce papers in his hand. Meanwhile, her daughter comes over with her girlfriend of three years. Um, What is her girlfriend's name? Oh, shit. It doesn't matter. Yeah. We once did an episode on Home Alone where we called the Uncle Jerry very confidently and everyone was like, his name isn't Jerry. But do I remember what his name was? No, it's Jerry now. So all this stuff is happening at the same time is where I was at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interestingly, I, I remember hearing uh, shortly after this movie came out that one of the Daniels, the Asian Daniel guy, that he was diagnosed with ADHD during the making of this movie, which kind of tracks you know it all makes sense yeah (laughs) yeah i do wonder about the demographics of like people who enjoyed this movie compared to like people with adhd because there is a certain it feels to me like this movie works for me the same way that saw works for me and that it's like so hyperactive that it gives my brain a break by just doing what it normally does yeah same i mean and i we talked about this a little bit in our episode about eternal sunshine of the spotless mind and asking if part of the fabric and the layered fabric of that movie appeals to neurodivergence in particular and i feel increasingly also like this movie feels like the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind of Mm. this moment yeah i didn't care for that eternal sunshine movie (laughs) but i think it's because it was so blue tinted it is a very blue movie yeah and i kept thinking something really terrible was going to happen and i just i didn't know what the movie was about so i just basically had low level panic the whole time yeah and i find that they both resonate like this movie resonates in that it's like everything is happening all at once in my brain all the time and in that movie also like i am also at a low level panic all the time (laughs) (laughs) so they emulate my emotional fabric (laughs) it's also like metaphysical east coast and west coast right because we have long island versus simi valley and they both are kind of like similar geographically right that's interesting like in relationship to a metropolis but sort of existing at the chewed edge yeah. <laughs> the chewed edge. Oh, that's a very visceral description. <laughs> I love chewed edges. You know, it's funny because I tend to prefer slower movies. And I think that modern films, to me, they just go by too fast. And I feel like the way they're filmed a lot of times just gets me amped up, but not in an excited way. Whereas this film had me excited. Upon the third or fourth watching, I'm I'm trying to look into it and say, like, well, why... Why does this feel okay to me? Whereas a lot of like, I don't know, the Marvel movies or whatever did not feel okay to me. I just I'm not in love with a lot of how quickly everything goes. I think like a big thing like and I've been thinking a lot about that same thing because I feel the same way where like I typically like slower paced movies that access like emotion and pathos in a like closely examined way. You love Europe. I do. You hate the troops. That's exactly right. (laughs) But like, I I was like, why do I like this Maximal movie where I don't like most Maximal movies? And I think what they're doing with everything that's happening on screen and like what that is accessing and like what that's accessing and like the flurry and existential crisis that's always happening in my brain is a lot more resonant than like Thanos is going to destroy the universe. (laughs) (laughs) It's more meaningful. It does feel more meaningful. Whereas I feel like the other movies that I've not liked as much, it just felt like they were trying to emotionally manipulate me without actually giving me emotions or speaking to those emotions. Okay. I'm just going to soldier on. So they're getting audited. Everything's happening all at once. Oh my gosh. From the very beginning of the movie. Yeah. It really it, it stresses you out from minute one, I will say, in a very impressive way. Like first minute, I'm just like, oh, God, it's so stressful to be Evelyn. <laughs> There's this dark heaviness from the beginning. And as a child of an immigrant, like the main character, Evelyn, does not resemble my mom, but it resembles a lot of my mom's culture that I mm. recognize from the beginning. Just the crowded house 
that they have. Like they have this tiny little apartment that they're living in and it's just stuffed to the gills. And that's kind of what I grew up in. Uh, it's, it's basically children of poverty, I think, or children mm. of parents who grew up in poverty. Maybe they're not impoverished, but it's, it, it was very recognizable to me. So from the get-go, you you realize that Evelyn's sort of an anti-hero. She's a little bit racist. She's a little bit fat phobic. And uh, you recognize that her husband, Waymond, is kind of like the soft, jokey part of the relationship and the one that the daughter feels safe around. Um, the mom and the daughter, they definitely butt heads. And you see that from the get-go. So Evelyn's mad that her daughter Joy has brought her girlfriend Becky, Becky is her name, Ooh. Becky with a non-binary haircut, to watch over her dad while they go do their taxes. And originally Joy was supposed to come to the audit with her, but she's like, you know what, just stay here. We're going to bring my dad. You guys get ready for the New Year's celebration. But like they were very focused around the dad or yes. uh, Gong Gong played by the amazing James Hong. So good in this. Who I did get to see in person at that red carpet show, oh, and I wow. was not prepared for that. I was like, oh my gosh, it's the guy from Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> so she's lying to everybody. and tell, She's telling dad that Joy's girlfriend is a friend, a very good friend, which creates some tension there. They go into the place where the uh, auditor is a perfect Jamie Lee Curtis. I love her from the beginning. I saw her like in the 80s and she's still just a freaking brilliant woman. So she plays this very, someone help me with the descriptor of her. She's like a taciturn, taciturn lady. Yes, taciturn's a very good word, yes. But she's wearing flower child clothing, which I think is such an amazing combination. <laughs> and, and the wrist support thing, is, or like the carpal tunnel thing is so good. Yes, that is the perfect, oh my gosh. She works so hard. So they go into the IRS to get audited, and you kind of get a hint that something's a little off in the universe. You're looking at the uh, closed circuit TV mm -hmm. video of inside the dry cleaning shop, um, Waymond Wong does something strange. Like you're not sure what's going on. Like it, like he suddenly kind of turns into a superhero, but you only see it in the background. You don't see it directly. Um, I've watched this movie almost four times and I still can't tell you exactly what happened there. Mm -hmm. But you see it again when they're in the elevator going up to the IRS and he suddenly turns into... Let's just say sexy Wayman. Yeah, he turns into sexy Wayman. Alpha Wayman. Not that all the Waymans aren't sexy, but you know, this this one knows how to sell it. Oh my God, he's so cute. He turns into sexy Alpha Wayman. Alpha Wayman, that's right, Alpha. Although that term really, yeah. Yeah, it's a little concerning now, but... But although it's from, he's he's from the Alphaverse, so it's the first of the multiverses to make contact, yeah. but still, we all know what Alpha means. Yeah, yeah. it's not an Andrew Tate. Waymond. It's a different yeah. Waymond. <laughs> so anyway, he, uh, how do you describe this? He basically turns into a different person and it's, it's uh, someone from a different universe inhabiting his body. It's himself from a different dimension inhabiting his body and giving Evelyn instructions on how to inhabit this liminal universe that he's constructed just for them so he could describe what's going on and how to save the universe from... The Jobo Tupaki, which is ac actually a word in India for something. I can't remember what. Anyway, help what happens next. <laughs> we learn that she's perfect for the task of saving the universe because she represents all of the missed opportunities that she never pursued that spin off into these other universes where she's able to live to her fullest potential. Mm -hmm. And through the mechanics of this universe, she's able to essentially, or the, both of these characters are able to, by doing the least likely thing in a scenario, be able to access the talent of themselves from one of these other universes. Mm -hmm. The mechanics of this are fun and then so detailed and deep along the lines that it just like serves you to ignore them sometimes and just like <laughs> let it happen to you. But through this, she ends up becoming mistaken for who 
is coming after who is bad or who is good and the Jimmy Lee Curtis character she punches in the nose which is very funny because <laughs> her response is great like she's like you punched an IRS officer and then she's also just like cowering it's it's, it's tremendous and as she embraces her role of being this person who is potentially going to save the universe is also confronted with the reality that this evil incarnate is ultimately represented by all of her daughters throughout the various universes. So we ultimately have her having to reconcile, you know, her unfulfilled potential in her place and also go toe to toe with her daughter who represents this um, multiverse spanning evil. (laughs) Which we find out Alpha Evelyn was the reason that Alpha Joy turned evil because she pushed her too far, which, I mean, I think that's a pretty obvious Tiger Mom reference. (laughs) (laughs) And also Alpha Evelyn is the person who discovered that we're able to cross over to these universes in this way. Um, So she is like the center of this universe, (laughs) which is really great. Whereas Wayman says, when she says, why me? The Evelyn in this current universe, he gives the best line, which is, you're living the worst you. I love that. Totally. <laughs> and she just has to take that, which is great for her. And also, like, who among us, honestly? Exactly. exactly. Yeah, Ugh. it's the best. It's so right on because, like, you know, what this confronts in all of us is feeling like maybe we are the Evelyn of our universes all the time. (laughs) And we're only the seeds making possible great lives for other people in some other universe. It's really Uh. great. For some reason, it hit similar to the reasons that you both were saying is like, this was like one of the first big things that I saw after again, my my theater week before the pandemic announced itself was Little Women and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And so... Portrait of uh, a Little Woman on Fire. Portrait of a Little Lady. (laughs) (laughs) A flame. (laughs) And so I think like also seeing this at that time was being like, okay, like I feel like I've entered a new era in everything and this Mm -hmm. movie represents that in one way or another, but this also represents like the fucking maddening chaos of the moment. And revisiting it this time, I really related in a bigger way than ever to Evelyn's plight in this movie. Same. Oscillating between am I the biggest loser in the universe or am I the biggest loser in the multiverse to no, 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 I can actually like tap into awesome shit. And sometimes I occupy both of those spaces in the same day. (laughs) Honestly. Okay, so when when we're talking about a multiverse, this is a question about about language, I guess. When we're talking about a multiverse and I'm referring to one of the other is it a dimension? It's not a universe, right? Like, what is the hot dog place called? Is that a universe? I think you can call it the hot dog universe. Okay. Because multiverse, listen, I'm just using context <laughs> clues here. I don't know. But multiverse <laughs> suggests multiple universes. Okay, great. So I feel like we would call them all universes. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to ride with it. So we start seeing what some of the other universes are like, which is really fun because we'll pop in and out of these places throughout. So there is a universe where Evelyn and Jimmy Lee Curtis's character are in a relationship together. And also humans have evolved to have hot dog fingers, which is tremendous. And every scene is unsettling. <laughs> and sexy. And sexy. Yes. The hot dog fingers are always ending up in someone's mouth. <laughs> So also we get these like fun Easter eggs, like the people in the Bollywood movie that we've seen at the beginning of this movie playing in the laundromat have hot dog fingers now. Like the the attention to the details are really great. And then they have condiments in their mouths. And do you think that the condiments come out of the hot dogs, you know, when they're like excited? I was wondering. This is a great question. It made me think about your shoes when we met the last time. It made me think about my shoes, too. Oh, yes, because after the tour, Sarah was covered in condiments. I was wondering if they added them like lube or if they were just like, why would they be in the hot dogs? That doesn't make any sense to me. I, I need logic here. Right. What kind of mad hot dogs are we working with? This is also because, and this is another one of the things that reminds of Eternal Sunshine is like the people in the Alpha universe are essentially driving around in a van with their like funny sort of like analog <laughs> technology, sending people back and forth and like sort of like looking at these nodes. It's like, yeah. it's very like high concept science fiction delivered to you and very like lo-fi. Like this would be handled in a Marvel movie with like a hundred million dollar investment into like the CGI of like what the like interface of the computer looks like. And here it's just like little clicky clack <laughs> 
keyboards yeah well it's also funny how famously like this was done by like a small team of people who kind of learned how to do cgi stuff on the fly or visual Mm -hmm. effects anyway yeah and you would think that would look terrible but it looks really good cats looks terrible looks so good well it also validates that my favorite music video to come out in the past 15 years is the turn down for what video which these guys directed and Mm -hmm. it's like a perfect low budget but by focusing on concept more than the shine around delivering the concept, you just get something gorgeous. And that's that's what this movie does it's like so, so well. I have to see this video. Oh, my God. This video is my favorite and it's ridiculous. I have to say about the hot dog fingers. Oh, wait, go on. Oh, I was just going to say to the point of the hot dog fingers, it's also extremely unsettlingly horny, <laughs> meaning it's just horny in the in a weird direction, which I love. <laughs> I mean, this whole movie is very horny. Yeah. Dildos. Dildo sequence. <laughs> it reminds me a lot of the Chinese uh, action flicks that I used to watch in the 90s. Um, I was really into uh, what's his name? Chow Yun Fat was like a huge crush. I don't know if you're familiar with like Hard Boiled and those movies. Mm. I think I know him from Anna and the King, a Jodie Foster film. What? (laughs) Really? Yeah, that was like, this isn't your mom's The King and I. This is a Jodie Foster movie. No. Wait, my two crushes were in a movie together? (laughs) What the heck? All right. All right. My mind's just blown. Oh, but I wanted to say about the hot dog fingers is that is where even though you're in this really bizarre, like everyone's dressed like in like little old lady doily shit, like like that whole universe is so odd and and sweet and nasty. But like that's the first time that you see Jamie Lee Curtis as like a person, like her humanity. Right. And um, which Mm -hmm. really continues in the movie. Like, I feel like this movie is ultimately about compassion. Um, which is, I think, why I like it, love it so much. Um, and also compassion for yourself, which, you know, is hard. Yeah, for sure. And being able to see that in other people. Like the first, and, and it, it's evidenced by the first most, so like I said earlier, the mechanics of, of switching your skill set from people in the other universes happens by doing something that's statistically the least likely thing to do in that situation. And the first thing that Evelyn has to do is to say sincerely to Jamie Lee Curtis's character that, that she loves her. And like through the rest of the movie, we like learn how to make that statistically less unlikely. And she does love her by the end. We all love her by the end. Yeah. So So basically we're moving towards this place where now Evelyn has come to learn who Joy is. I think, is it Joy's objective to bring Evelyn in because Joy, like in Dr. Dr. Manhattan from The Watchmen, is able to see everything and as a result is a total relativist and disillusioned. Is part of her plan to bring Evelyn in on that so that she has company in that? What's the plan does anyone know? Because I, I, this is where I get a little lost. She wants her mom to understand her. Like, she doesn't want to be alone. And I feel like throughout the movie, she doesn't feel like her mom understands her. Like, she does the thing, like, at the very beginning, she says, oh, you look very pretty, she says to her girlfriend. And Becky's like, thanks. She's like, I just wanted to put that out there before my mom calls you fat or something. Right, and right, right. Becky's like, oh, I thought she does that because she loves you. And, like, I mean, that's the beginning of the movie. And that just, like, just speared me in the heart. Because I'm like, that's exactly what I tell myself every time my mom calls me fat is, oh, she's just doing that because she cares about you. Like, this is these are the things that we tell ourselves about our moms. Oh, God, it's such a mother movie. <laughs> it's it's the mother of all mother movies, I feel oh, like. Oh, my gosh. It really is. There's the devastating scene where Evelyn goes out right after that and says, like, I have something to tell you. And you think she's oh. going to tell her something meaningful. And she's like, you have to eat healthier. You look fat. Mm-hmm. I, that was my first laugh out loud at that movie. I'm like, I just, I lived that. I, I was like, oh my god, this movie sees me, and I'm very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, and like, what? How often do you feel seen by a movie in a particularly strong way? Never. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that scene in The Shining where he's like, I just want to be left alone to write. <laughs> so, Mary Naomi, do you think you can get us from like where we arrive in the the rocks where there are rocks to the end? Do you think that that? <laughs> oh, my God. Because this is where things get like buck wild. <laughs> it's like that video that I found on YouTube recently that I love that's called Shrek, but I speed it up 
0.5% every time Shrek takes oh, a step. I love that. And so by halfway through, it's just like kind of screaming and like images flying at your face. That's what this movie's like. I really love that. But the, as I said, every time I watch it, I feel like I am less overwhelmed by it. And I see new things, as you will, every time you watch any movie. But like, I, I feel less like it's too much. Because like I've, I'm like, okay, well, I've already I've already seen this and I, I can notice like, oh, this is what that means. And this is what that means. Like I get it more each time I watch the movie and I'm like, I just want to watch this movie a hundred times because it's like, mm-hmm. ugh. So by the time we get to The Rock, we think that Jobu Tupaki has been trying to kill off Evelyn uh, this whole time, but it's not the case. She actually wants to pull Evelyn in with her because she wants to be understood and she wants to be joined by her mom and joy in this particular universe like the the actual whatever universe that that we're doing our taxes in she's not necessarily jobu tupaki until jobu tupaki inhabits her but but jobu mm. tupaki is in her but when she goes out of her oh there is that one scene where alpha gong gong tries to get evelyn to kill her daughter because she might be inhabited by jobu tupaki and that was really intense um that that was when they were trapped in the uh snm closet Man, this movie is kinky. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so by the time we get to the rocks, you realize that she's not trying to destroy Evelyn. She's trying to, I don't know, kind of have Evelyn destroy herself, but not in any kind of malicious way, just because she wants understanding. She wants, mm-hmm. yeah, company. Sarah, help me. <laughs> 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 You're so good at this. I feel like I'm 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 like with the kung fu master and like and and you're like here do this and I'm like I've never practiced ever. Well, without focusing on details, how does it resolve? Like, what is the realizations that happen? Like, how does it come together? With love and understanding, and with Evelyn coming over to Wayman's side and realizing that maybe she doesn't handle things in the best way. <laughs> Right. And I feel like we have like we look at these various universes where she's been so successful. But then the question is, like, is she happy in these universes? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I was just thinking about that last night about just there's this one universe where she's a movie star and kung fu master, uh, which, you know, she kind of the, the actress actually kind of is. And just the very hilarious scene where she's telling Alpha Wayman, wait, I need my husband back so I could tell him how much better my life would have been without him. (laughs) I love that so much. It's so good. She's in the middle of everything and finds it very important that she's able to convey to him that her life would be so much better without him. It's so good. I mean, part of me attributed that to like the the Asian no nonsense tactlessness that I sometimes find within my own family. But the more more I watch it, I realize no, she's hurt because he wants to divorce her, and she wants to be like, no, I want to hurt you at this point. Mm-hmm. At least that's how I'm interpreting now. And he wants to divorce her just like as a quick aside because he thinks it might initiate a conversation and I this was so fucking recognizable that like when they have a conversation about this that he's like I don't really want to divorce you but unless something's an emergency you won't pay attention to it and so I figured that if I if I wanted to initiate this divorce you would actually take time to engage it and I I know I've been there and I've seen it happen with people I know and love and I was like what a tremendous detail to put into this movie Mm -hmm. um, that she's a person who's incapable of dealing with something unless it's an emergency. So you have to make emergencies to get in front of her to the point where you have to like become evil incarnate to get her attention. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Resonant. Yeah. You got to do what you got to do. And also just, you know, in case it doesn't come up later, Rakakuni, my favorite part. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Which is like, I love is like something that starts off like inspired by sort of moms as a demographic being unable to remember what movies are called. (laughs) Moms and me. Yeah. It's because you're a mom at heart. Thank you. We were just talking about Rakakuni. I I feel like the animatronic raccoon and it just he was just like a kind of a jerk ass raccoon but you just feel for him so much i was i was crying as he was being carted off in the animal care and control van 
I do feel like this where they're rendered to be rocks and no one like there's like some significant some significance and like there's the quiet of the fact that they have landed in a universe we hear that most universes actually humans haven't evolved in and it's just you know barren land or just like sort of like canyons and rocks or whatever and we have joy and evelyn as rocks and it's the first time because they're not surrounded by the chaos of everything else that they're actually able to have a conversation where Evelyn says she's sorry she screwed everything up. Like I remember being in a theater full of people, including myself, bawling at that moment because they have like the perfect conditions to actually engage. Like Evelyn in that situation is not having to worry about her dad and like make her dad okay or worry about the laundromat. Like they're just Mm -hmm. rocks surrounded by nothing. And that felt like to me like a gigantic turning point. And where do they end does that make sense like wait like what interaction do they have at the end that like feels different than the ones that they were having at the beginning well this is where joy decides that she's going to self-destruct and you'd see her as a rock tumbling down the hill um and in the other universes she's going the jobu topaki is going into the everything bagel (laughs) and being consumed by the nothingness of the everything bagel and um That's such a powerful scene because that's when Evelyn realizes she has to let her go. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's I mean, that that scene is both touching and freaking hilarious and aesthetically beautiful. This whole movie is just so aesthetically gorgeous, like all the sets and and the clothes. Oh, my God. Um, But yeah, that's a really powerful scene. Yeah, I feel like visually this is doing something different than what I've seen before, where it feels like every idea in it is illustrated in some way Mm -hmm. yeah it all feels like collage made of cut out construction paper yes yeah absolutely i mean there's even literally like well there's animated bits and the pinata universe i mean really all over the place (laughs) when i was first watching this movie you know it got to that point of the rocks i'm like there's nowhere this movie can go this movie isn't gonna like there's always a point in a movie where you're like, okay, it can't get better than this. And then it usually like has to end somehow. So this, this movie is so messy. And I think that's part of the point is like, there's, it's all over the place. It's messy. And there's no, like, there is resolution a little bit in that she keeps her daughter from like riding off into the distance without her and makes her feel a little bit more loved. But I mean, it's still messy. I mean, they still like they haven't resolved the conflicts. And guess what? They're never going to. Mm. And that's, you know, a lesson for all of us. <laughs> it's so true. I also I feel like one of the things I love about this movie was that it was like a movie that was like had stuff to say that like film type people talked about that like everyone was talking about was very zeitgeisty, was not considered dumb or corny, really, as far as I can tell, or at least that wasn't the consensus on it. And yet its conclusion was basically like, love one another, be excellent to each other, you know, and also that it was in theaters forever, which I love. Yeah. You don't get a lot of that anymore. I feel like that was timing, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wonderfully timed. And like speaking of be excellent to each other, like it does kind of function like Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, which is like <laughs> instead of, you know, put upon moms, you have like, you know, two self-obsessed metalheads who through their journeys through these like th- through time in different dimensions are able to like learn about the world and then like learn to be cool. <laughs> It's great. It is like way less emotional resonance point by point, but like, you know, it's doing the best thing that you can do with like a time or dimension travel movie. It engages with philosophy, dust, wind, dude. (laughs) Very well done. I feel like they did a really good job with like cycles of trauma and abuse like generationally like mm-hmm. showing that but also one thing that I love upon rewatching this and probably from the beginning was like you'd start off with Evelyn she's so self-involved I mean she's like trying to she's she is she does love her family but she's like so self-involved and when when she she's shown these other universes she's like oh it could have been better for me oh look at all the ways that I've been mistreated by my dad look at the way that I've been mistreated here and then throughout the movie you kind of have her realize how she's been mistreating other people. And I don't know, that's 
It's hard to do narratively. <laughs> it's, I thought it was brilliant when Evelyn is basically saying like, you know how your grandfather is, like he's from another generation. And Joyce says like, you can stop hiding behind him. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think for a very long time, and I still deal with this, I think we all deal with this in one way or another, people who treated me poorly I would give a pass because I understood sort of like what they had to deal with. And I still like understand that in context, like for sure. And like, and I, and similarly I've been treated poorly and I've passed that on to other people in, in, in ways or reactions that I have. But like you eventually have to intervene upon the generational, you know, passing the shit buck. (laughs) And that's that's what Joy is essentially saying to her mother is like, I understand that he treated you like shit, but like, you don't have to treat me like shit. Like, and don't say you're treating me like shit because of an expectation of his, because like you are a stop in between he and and me. And I like that a a blockbuster movie talked about that. (laughs) Oh my gosh. There was a line. I, I think I didn't write it down verbatim where she realizes that her daughter's Joe Jopaki and she's like, it's you. You're the reason my daughter doesn't call anymore. Why she dropped out of school, got tattoos and is gay. <laughs> and thinks she's gay. I remember noticing that wording. She thinks she's gay. Oh my God. She's not really oh, gay. Too real. And I love that that the response is like the universe is a lot bigger than you think that it is. Like that's yes. such a like cool response because like that is... That response works across the board usually when someone's like, you're doing this thing and like you're confused about it. And it's like, I'm doing this thing that I actually have a very big grasp about and you're the one who's confused. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. When you saw this in the theater, and I know you saw this after the pandemic, but when you saw it and like there were people from the movie there and you were sort of surrounded by people who were enthusiastic about it, like what were your feelings beyond just like what the fuck is happening? I mean, it was kind of in the right in the middle of the pandemic, I was sitting there crying in uh, into my mask and just wondering, is this me? Is this just speaking to me because I'm in this situation? Like, I just kept wondering, that is this, is it because I'm Asian? Is my white spouse going to like this? Like I, like, I just kept questioning myself. Like, why do I like this movie mm-hmm. so much? Like, I, I haven't liked a movie this much in so long. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like, I, I don't know, like, I'm still processing it, honestly, like, I, I'm gonna have to watch this movie a lot more times to to really understand, like, because the more I watch it, the more I realize, okay, Evelyn's not my mom. In fact, my mom's not like Evelyn, pretty much at all. But like, Evelyn resembles people in her fa- side of the family. And I definitely recognize it from like that side of the culture. But she's not my mom. But it felt like she <laughs> it felt like Evelyn was my mom in some ways. I don't know. It's- mm-hmm. mm. Well, and I wonder if like, because I feel like there are like so many cultural layers to it. But I wonder if there is some element of like every mom is in her or like most mm. moms are inside of her. Because like mm-hmm. no matter what mom it is, there's good odds that there's some element of the dynamic of like being confused about where she ends and you begin. Hmm. Yeah. And both of you being confused about, I mean, that's like the whole classic thing that babies do allegedly, right? Where we like, we start having a sense of a self when we start realizing that we're separate from whoever's taking care of us. Right. I think you're right. I mean, I I do think that like in some ways with obviously some exceptions, like Evelyn contains a lot of moms, like not maybe not the moms, but the mom relationship. Right. Not the moms themselves, but the dynamic. Right. Exactly. And that the dynamic like taken to a particular extreme, although it's like in a lot of ways, like Evelyn as I understand it, is like my dad's mom in like many, Mm. many ways. Like there, it seems like a a very similar character. But yeah, like I do think that like Evelyn represents or like the relationship that she represents is something that's like resonant to a lot of people, regardless of if their mom was actually the way that Evelyn is in this movie. Mm -hmm. The anxiety and the way that she expresses love through the anxiety That's something I found out through therapy. (laughs) Mm. I finally connected with. Yeah. And she says, like, while looking at the the video, while looking at the video of her husband and he's dancing with that guy, like, and she's like, it says something along the lines of, like, I don't know 
what he would do essentially like i like i don't know how he's made it this far like essentially Mm -hmm. like i'm the only one who takes anything seriously or takes anything that's going on seriously to the point where you then internalize all that and like think that like everybody needs you to be taking things that seriously and you're going Mm -hmm. to sort of like lose it it becomes like you know i recognize that like the sister (laughs) in home for the holidays we've seen this before oh yes you're right it is like the sister (laughs) in home for the holidays it's exactly the same character (laughs) oh my god i might be evelyn shit (laughs) <laughs> I, and I think like we're all a little bit Evelyn and, and that's also not to try and like take away from the specificity of it because I always think of there's this part in the celluloid closet where Harvey Firestein talks about I think when Torque Song Trilogy came out straight people were like it's so great it's not a gay movie it's universal and he was like well up yours it is a gay movie mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> like this is an Asian mom movie I mean so assuming you don't have an Asian mom like did you feel? Yeah, I I have a, a mom who certainly is Evelyn like in some capacities, but not okay. due to any Asianness on her part. Maybe we all have an Asian mom <laughs> in the broader sense. <laughs> I, th- I I mean, it also the conversation we were just having reminds me of my dad who grew up very much like struggling financially and like doing without basic comforts, and I think like probably not consciously always regretted that we were that I grew up you know by the time I was born everyone was doing great my mom was a doctor and we had like nice carpets and we could go on vacations and Mm -hmm. I think that he always kind of on some level felt that he was wasted as the parent of like a soft little affluent child because he was like based on how he was raised, like so conditioned to be like, it's tough out there and you've got to be tough and you have to suffer because if you suffer at home, you won't mind suffering in the world because like everything was very nice and cushy. And also it was the 90s when like playground equipment was coated in Nerf. (laughs) I think he just felt like he was totally like he should have been like a Victorian dad whose children's toys were made out of tin and bone. I want that toy. (laughs) I'm just going to ice you all the time so you can be ready for the ice that makes up the world. (laughs) And you're like, where where is the ice? I'm a rich white child. I can do anything. (laughs) Just prepare me for how unnecessarily nice everyone is going to be to me. So interesting. I, I feel like my parents were very much like they grew up in kind of abusive relationships one more than the other and and uh definitely grew up poor and then they didn't want their kids to have to grow up in that kind of environment although I do recall my dad telling me I was too sensitive a lot but I think he might have been looking in the mirror so <laughs> I feel like that so often happens with parents yeah, like I think like sometimes like a lot of the most fucked up things that they do or say is when they look at you and see themselves but don't realize they're seeing themselves. Oh, yeah. And they're, they're saying some shit to themselves. I think that's why some of these parents go and kill their own kids, you know? Yeah. Like, why kill a Ugh. child? I think one of the reasons is, well, one of the reasons is, you know, because you're out of your mind um, yes. in some way or another. But a second reason is because they remind you of yourself and you want to yeah. kill you. Whoa. You hate white power bill. (laughs) (laughs) Damn, that was really deep. (laughs) And I feel like, I mean, this feels like something that I really encounter in like the parts of the internet that are or are pretending to be TikTok, kind of talking about parents and how different parents raise their kids and like just this never-ending dance of people trying to reconcile how they were raised with like how it made them feel you know and it feels like that like this movie is really trying to thread a needle of like people are the way that they are for a reason but also like you need to know that you deserve more than that right yeah that's like a big one even gong gong changes at the end of the film yeah how so well i don't know if he actually changed but when when he finds out that becky's her girlfriend Mm mm-hmm he doesn't freak out. He holds her hand yeah. and says, girlfriend. And it's very sweet. I'm also curious. I don't mean it, it. Like, I think that that's great. And I don't mean to take away from that. But I'm one thing that is like a that I'm curious about is at the beginning when Evelyn is trying to explain who Becky is and doesn't say who it is. And she says he's a, she's a good, good friend. Like, I think he gets it. Mm-hmm. And it turns out because he's like, oh, good, good friend. Like, he's like kind of like nodding to it. And like, it makes me wonder if like. 
he would have cared if Evelyn said it or she's internalized his shit so much that she's like, it doesn't even matter because like he has been a fucking bastard. So like, so she's internalized that like he can be that way. But it it was fun for me to think about like, does he even care or has she just constructed all of her fear responses to how he usually is? And it doesn't matter if, if he'd care or not, like the monster that he has been lives inside of her head. That's true. See, I lived kind of the opposite of that, where my mom sort of did that with me and my grandparents. And I'm like, you know, she's just going over the top. This is not really they're like they're not going to freak out if they get to know me. And then they got to know me and they freaked (laughs) out. And they very did. (laughs) Over things that I didn't even think they would freak out, like things that she couldn't even like she didn't even prepare me for the Mm -hmm. fact that once I said I didn't want children, that they my grandpa would just go And just shut me out for years. Oh, my God. Oh, fuck. I'm sorry. That's terrible. I mean, it's yeah, it was that was a that was a fun one to learn. I mean, (laughs) it was I mean, the the movie's kind of a fantasy, especially towards the end with that part with Gong Gong. I feel like, Mm -hmm. but, you know, maybe it could happen. I don't know. Well, I just like to the point where. You know what Sarah joked about, but it's very real that like this movie is all the things that it was. It was like a film movie and like it ends and like just love each other is I like that it spends, you know, like Bill and Ted, that it spends (laughs) all of this time being able to like, you know, it's science fiction. It like what it spends its time making possible with the magic of film and cinema Mm -hmm. is not fighting aliens. It's fighting the conflict within ourselves Mm. by way of like being able to like better understand how other people live. Like Hmm. that's what they chose to make a movie about. That's tremendous. (laughs) Absolutely. When joy is, or Jobo Topaki or Joy or whatever talks about just like when you see everything, you realize that nothing matters. And, and I think the movie is actually telling you that's true. Nothing does mm-hmm. matter. So just mm-hmm. enjoy right. it while you have it. And right. I mean, that's kind of enforces how I believe it anyway. Yeah. It's like a p- positivist nihilism, which is really nice. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. The science fiction in science fiction we've talked about on the show we, we, we I've brought up Eternal Sunshine a couple of times like Arrival like are the mm-hmm. science fiction that we like I think that we like the most on the show are, are things that aren't just like the laser guns are cool it's like <laughs> the science fiction exists as a way to reflect to us like what's fucked up within us and like where we can grow well and also all these three movies Arrival Eternal Sunshine and this like the theme they have in common is like the human condition Pointless, only ends in pain, just like <laughs> nothing matters. Therefore, get back together with your ex-girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they all acknowledge like how love certainly is worth it, but it's going to be a fucking mess. Yeah. Like it's it's not going to be a happily ever after situation. It, it may be, but it will certainly be a very rocky road and it would behoove you have one of two. Well, it's you have more choices, but you have one of two choices when faced with the rocky road. And one is to say, fuck it. Everything's pointless. Mm-hmm. Or the other is to say, like, I will kind of try to develop and figure out how to address these rocks in a meaningful way as they come up. (laughs) Yeah, and some of them will have googly eyes. This is also not intentionally the theme of my hour. You're wrong about Valentine's Day live stream. Vertical integration. (laughs) (laughs) And if you didn't see it, uh, you missed it forever. So join the next one. (laughs) Yep. I think the costuming in this is incredible. Yes, the costuming, the choreography, the soundtrack is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the wardrobe. I have to say, Kei Hui Kwan's acting is phenomenal. He plays so multiple good. people in this film. Um, I haven't been as impressed with an actor since Jeremy Irons in that Cronenberg film. Um, Dead Ringers. Dead Ringers. Ah, <sighs> So good. I love this comparison. That's beautiful. <laughs> well, what you see him, and you can always tell who you're looking at, even though he looks exactly the same. Totally. Yes, you know which character he's he's playing. Yeah. At all times. And that is, I mean, how? How? I don't even understand that. So good. Yeah. Yeah, that's really that's a such a great point. I hadn't 
certainly something I noticed, but not something I would have been able to put my finger on is that every time you see him, you know him even without his dialogue. It's really great. He's like the beating heart of this movie thematically, yes. I think. And I feel like it's it's also it's nice to see a couple portrayed in a movie where like each of them truly has something to do. Mm. Right. Where I feel like in most movies, you just like somebody gets a spouse because it would be kind of weird if they didn't have one and you need a role <laughs> for Amy Adams. <laughs> <laughs> or you know where it's just like like the i don't know i guess like any movie of the past 30 years like sissy spacek and jfk is always my example where it's just like a thankless role where he's playing his wife kevin costner's wife being like the children were hoping you would come to easter sunday services but you were too busy watching that zapruder tape you know and it's just like i get it women are bitches we're horrible you hate us oliver stone love it you know because that like the concept of like people in a marriage or in a romantic partnership, like each doing something that furthers the plot or kind of each representing part of the movie's worldview. Like, I don't know if I just feel like I haven't seen that very much. There weren't any throwaway characters. I felt like right. everything was necessary. And as someone who like I, I try to do that in my work when I'm creating a story and it's really hard. It's really like you, you just have to really pare things down in that movie. If that's a pared down <laughs> interpretation of what they started with, I mean, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like it's like just accepting that is kind of, to me is a vote of confidence for like any kind of giant project that people have that you like, you know, the thing that you can't get your arms around and you're like, I'll never even get this thing through the door. And just like looking at something that it makes me think of like, do you ever make like crafts where you would like you would like make beads out of like strips of magazine paper and glue? It's like that. (laughs) That sounds really messy. Yeah, I think and I think like just like as a feat, like to like to that point about it being about what is <laughs> about the about handicraft like just as far as like what they set out to do by way of having different people represent different dimensions different sort of like areas of growth and then like what was possible with regard to what they illustrated on screen like the the texture of the movie like this is i think maybe the most ambitious movie I've seen or at least I feel like that I've seen by way of like what how I can't even possibly imagine like what the initial Mm -hmm. description to themselves about what they were going to do to what they delivered like I have extreme difficult like even in like extremely ambitious like the godfather like I kind of get how they might have like outlined that and put that together it was just the lift was big because of like the production but like this I I couldn't possibly reverse engineer how they made this movie the only thing that comes to mind weirdly is pink floyd's the wall oh wow oh. that's a great that's a great side by yeah <laughs> i love that because like how do you pitch that and just it being kind of i think the first of its kind in many ways and sort of yeah. expressing a concept kind of in god help me phrasing this word multiple modalities <laughs> thank you but right i mean it makes something like titanic or amadeus look relatively similar because there's like the difficulty of representing the thing the script requires but also like it it takes place in one universe it has like all the people playing characters are like just playing those characters and not at a bunch of different other versions of those characters it doesn't use different media like i think that's why it's so hard for me to summarize is that it just feels like this pleasantly like about to explode manila folder in my brain oh that's a beautiful way to put it (laughs) Like with Titanic, which obviously beloved, but like it's a moderately linear, linear story told by really selling, you know, obviously there's like the the acting, the writing, whatever, but also Mm -hmm. it's just like you spend a lot of time looking at a gorgeously reconstructed Titanic, right? Like, and that's the sort of visual feat. Yeah. And all the Sims that live on it. Yes. (laughs) And in this one, like this movie works so well that at some point it sells you an emotional scene where two rocks speak to each other without voices. Like it sells you a 
sentient-ish everything bagel. Like, it sells you, like, all the things that it sells you and pulls off. A lot of butt plug stuff. Yes, a lot of butt plug stuff. It sells you a dildo fight. (laughs) It's tremendous. It's Mm -hmm. tremendous that it's able to do that. I don't know why it's able to do that, and that's even nice, too, because you don't see its hand. You don't see the hand that makes the movie. I think it was kind of like an Asian mom version of It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> yeah. But that means he's just operating on so many different levels. Like Jimmy Stewart is just like on his, his one little reality. And they're like, okay, we'll, we'll work with this. Oh my God, that's really great. It feels really true. Originally, they wanted, I think, Jackie Chan to be the um, main person. And then he turned it down. And then they went after Michelle Oh, Michelle. Oh, she's so good. Would it just have been he's a sad dad? Like, is that what it would have been? I don't know. Because we have enough of those. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad they went in this direction because Mm -hmm. we need more Asian mom movies, honestly. Yeah. And also, I guess the, the, the person tasked with saving the universe is, you know, someone who never gets asked to save the universe in these movies, but probably could. Right. Like normally it's a 12 year old white boy. Yeah. Someone with no life experience at all. There's some things that they do, like they don't waste a half hour trying to get her to buy into it. Like they get her to just like buy into it pretty immediately. But she does try to withdraw from the task, like sometimes up front, Mm -hmm. you know, for for a very relatable reason, which is like, I'm busy being crushed by my current existence. Like I can't Mm -hmm. possibly... Yeah. Do this other thing. (laughs) Yeah, I guess like prophets in the Bible always said. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I feel like... You don't often get a point of view of a middle-aged immigrant woman who runs a dry cleaner. Like, that's not... Hopefully, it'll have people think about other people. Like, people who watch this movie will start thinking about their dry cleaner as humans who might have ambitions. Yeah. Well, I I love that they have that their party and they like invite everyone who comes to the dry cleaner and like they like Jenny Slate's character who is like a total aside like it's it, like we and it's only in passing but we see her receive the invitation and she seems so like not into it and also like she's exclusively being referred to as big nose which is you know kind of revealing of where evelyn is at the front of this movie but then we see later just in quick passing that she shows up to the party which is a very so great (laughs) and you see that they use the karaoke machine at the party so it is a business expense yes see (laughs) yeah i will say like jamie lee curtis was being a bit of a stickler there because like a karaoke machine can be justified as an expense for almost any business (laughs) yeah come on how else do you do team building why don't we have a karaoke machine i'm on that race good (laughs) (laughs) all right well we know that well, there are several dads in this movie. We know that there are <laughs> We know that there are several fathers in this movie. <laughs> Who is the daddy? In which universe? Any of them. That's a uh, yeah, anyone you want. I mean, Rakakuni? Oh. <laughs> Voiced by Randy Newman, I believe. Is that true? I think so. What? If it's not, what an incredible lie for my brain to make up. I love it either way. Oh my god. I'll take either one, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. I mean, Waymond obviously is awesome, but I yeah, Rakakuni's pretty awesome too. I love Rakakuni. I um, I'm going to go for um, Jamie Lee Curtis in Hot Dog Finger Universe, mm-hmm. specifically because, like, as I understand it from any of the interviews I've seen. Jamie Lee Curtis, who we've talked about on the show before, who who I adore in many, many ways, but also on social media, sometimes you're like, Jamie Lee Curtis, you don't need to comment on literally everything. Like sometimes we don't need to sometimes whatever. But as I understand it from the everyone who was involved in this movie, she was a huge force in cheering people on along sort of like in making the movie and like they made the movie for very little money and like when they did the hot dog scene she hired a hot dog truck to come and like do extra catering for people and she did that with like another one of the scenes like she did a lot of like out of her own pocket like boosting to like make sure everyone knew how much she cared about it and like there's an amazing scene with like her and Kay he's talking about her encouraging him and they're both bawling like talking about the encouragement because he was so 
this was a gigantic lift for him considering how little work he had gotten because he was essentially systemically forgotten by Hollywood. So he was terrified and felt very little confidence going into it. And he said that like what was substantial was her cheerleading along the way. And like Jamie Lee Curtis is iconic and having an icon cheer you on was big for him. Mm-hmm. And the costume, as we've said. My daddy is a split decision between Wayman's Fanny Pack, oh my which has its own theme. There's a song on the soundtrack called The Fanny Pack, and I listen to it all the time. And then my other daddy is Mari Naomi for encouraging me to start drawing again last October, which has been truly the light of my life since then. And here's my most recent drawing. It's of the Sex and the City episode, Are We Sluts? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love it. I love that episode. (laughs) All right, everybody, that is it for this week's episode of You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Thank you so much to Mari Naomi for joining us. Thank you so much to Carolyn Kendrick for producing this episode. Thank you to Miranda Zickler for editing this episode. Thank you to Fresh Lesh for producing the beats that make this episode sound so sweet. We appreciate you, Lesh. Thanks to you for supporting us, for listening to us. Thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon and Apple Podcast subscriptions. We really appreciate it, truly. I don't know how many ways to say it, but it is it is the truth. We can't believe that we get to do this, and we appreciate that we get to do it with you. Next week, join us for Under Siege, or uh, as Carolyn calls it, Over Siege. Uh- <laughs> or uh, under below or there's so many different uh, titles that she's used to refer to this movie none of which have been the actual title Uh, i've told her that this is what it's like being in my brain considering i can't remember uh, a a darn proper name to save my life anyway thank you all so much for being here we really appreciate you we are grateful that you come back every week and don't forget that you my friend are good All right, see y'all next week.